Hey, welcome uh, to River Ridge. I'm so glad that you're here, that you've chosen to spend your morning with us. And if you're catching us online later, welcome to you as well. And uh, just thrilled that you're here. Uh, so this week was a bit of a tumultuous week uh, with power outages and all that kind of stuff. How many people lost power sometime this week? Okay, yep, yep. We were among that batch who lost power as well. And uh, so quick little story about kind of the power outage and the difficulty, but also a bit of a kind of a bright shining light story. Uh, so uh, some of you may know Shauna Sigmund. She's a part of our church and her uh, house got hit really bad with the storms. And so here's a picture of her yard uh, when the storm hit, right? And so uh, one of our core values at River Ridge is you can't do life alone. And Shona's part of a women's Bible study. And so she put out the call and some women showed up looking strong and, and that kind of thing. There we go. Um, showed up and a couple other women. So that's the before picture. And then women showed up and this is the after picture. Is that awesome? That is awesome. So that's the power. Yep. That is just the power of community and helping each other out and that type of thing. So thrilled that we are a church uh, that values that of really being community and sharing life together because you can't do life alone. If this is your first Sunday at River Ridge Church, I am glad that you're here, glad that you're part of what's going on here this morning. Uh, if this is your first time in a, a long time, maybe you haven't been here this summer, I want to catch up to speed. So this summer we're doing a series which is titled The Other 316s. John 3.16 is probably the most famous quoted verse in the Bible. But as you look at the Bible, there are a lot of other verses uh, that are chapter 3, verse 16, that are great highlight verses. So over the course of the summer, we're looking at 10 different 3.16 verses. And so this morning, we are going to look at Revelation 3.16. And it's, uh, you know, as soon as I say Revelation, some of you are like, oh, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be talking like the Antichrist and the beast and the thousand years and the, the seals and the trumpets and the flying horsemen and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the end times, you know, you're super excited because, you know, there's three things that people want to hear the most in church, right? What happens in the end times? What about sex? And is there sex in the end times? Those are the three things that people want to hear about most. Um, we're not doing any of those. Sorry to disappoint. Um, but we are going to be looking at a part of the book of Revelation that is incredibly, incredibly relevant and practical uh, to our everyday lives. So I'm excited to do that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you um, that we get to look uh, into your word this morning. And uh, God, as I have been um, as I've been praying all morning for this message, Lord, I, I pray that um, it wouldn't be about what I say, uh, but that it would be about people catching what you want to say to their hearts, Lord. God, I think this message um, in many ways has the ability to be more impactful on a person's life than any other message that there is. And so I pray, God, that you would touch hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a number of years ago, when Stacy and I lived in Cleveland, we had a group of friends that we would get together with all the time. We didn't have kids, and so we just got together a bunch of uh, different ways and doing different stuff. But one of the things we would do from time to time is we would get together and play cards. So one night, uh, three other couples come over to our house, and we're playing cards. We're getting ready to play cards around our dining room table. And somebody brings over chocolate chip cookies. And I love chocolate chip cookies. And you may know the, the phrase, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a 
glass of milk. Yes, the preschool parents over here got that. You guys, this is the old crowd because you didn't get that. But so if you if you give a uh, cook. Uh, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. If you give me a cookie, I'm going to want a glass of milk. So there's this big pile of chocolate chip cookies there. And I go to the refrigerator, and I pour some milk for myself, and I bring it back. And we're playing spades, and so we're starting to deal out the cards. And I, and I smell something kind of funky. And I ask, I said, does anybody smell something kind of weird, kind of rotten or something like that? And People are like, no, and I'm like, maybe there's like a dead skunk outside, or I can't quite figure out what this smell is, but it's weird because I'm the only one that can smell it, and nobody else can smell the smell. I'm like, well, maybe it's just in my head, it's figuring my imagination. So we deal the cars out, I eat a chocolate chip cookie, and then I take a big swig of milk. And when I take this big swig of milk, two things happen uh, immediately. I have a realization and I have a response. The realization is that rotten smell is the cup of milk that has been sitting in front of me for a couple of minutes. Uh, and then my reaction is I want to spew this out of my mouth as quickly as I possibly can. And so I run to the sink and I do one of those running spews, hoping to hit the sink um, as I run and spew this out. And I go and I look in the refrigerator at the gallon of milk, the jug of milk, and it's not expired. We must have just gotten a bad gallon or something like that, but it was absolutely awful. Has that ever happened to you where you drink something, you're like, oh, that is so foul, or worse, you eat something, and it's like got food poisoning, and then you puke it up like 10 minutes later. It's like, oh, that's just disgusting. I share that with you because we're going to talk about, why does he share that story? Um, we're going to talk about something from Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, where Jesus talks about spitting something out of his mouth. And actually, it's probably more accurate translation to say Jesus is vomiting out of his mouth. And you think, what is it that is so offensive, that is so nasty, that is so problematic to Jesus that he says, I'm going to spit you out if you have this? Yeah, and you might think, well, it's probably like lust, like he's gonna, he's, or maybe it's gossip, or, or maybe it's hypocrisy, or maybe it's bitterness, or ungratefulness, or, or lack of forgiveness towards somebody, and, and he's going to spit you out because you have that characteristic in you. But it's none of those. And we're going to look at what it is, and it may actually surprise you as we do this. But we're going to be in the book of Revelation. So if you haven't opened to Revelation, we're going to be in Revelation uh, we're going to begin in verse 14. And this is a part of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, where it is, uh, it's called the seven churches uh, of Revelation. And so what it is, is Jesus is addressing these seven different churches in what they called Asia Minor, what we would today call modern day Turkey. And there are these seven churches that sort of formed a kind of a, uh, an end shape from one to the next, and the letters are written in order that you would go through these different towns. And each one of the letters begins with the same phrase, to the church, or excuse me, to the angel in the church of, and then it names it Ephesus, or Pergam, or Smyrna, or today Laodicea, and then it's a, a letter, basically, addressed to this church from Jesus. And so, it begins this way in verse 14. It says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. 
Okay, and so what we've got going on here is this is, a, this is John who is recording what Jesus tells him to write down in this revelation. And so each of these letters, these seven letters, they actually follow uh, a formula, if you will, where they all kind of have the same kind of parallelism between the seven different uh, letters. And so they each begin with, to the angel at the church of, and it names the church. And then all of them have uh, a different kind of description of who Jesus is. So it says, the words of the amen. So Jesus is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. But if you look at the seven different letters, they each have a different description of Jesus, which all find their, actually their roots in the description of Jesus in chapter one in the book of Revelation. And then it goes to a, a pattern after that. And actually, I put it on the screen behind me and just talk about it briefly so it gives the greeting and then a description, and then it gives a commendation. So it says, to the church here or there, this is what you do well. Gives them kind of a compliment. And then there's a, um, a correction, but this is the problem that you face. And then it says, and to repent of that, and it says, and when you repent, here is what will come for you. Here's the good things to follow. And then they all end with, he who has ears to hear let the Spirit, and then it says, kind of, listen to what I have said. And this is Jesus writing or speaking these seven letters that John records. Um, and it's interesting to look at these in parallel. And I'm actually going to try and put something on Facebook this week uh, if you want to dig a little bit deeper in this, because it's really neat to look at these seven letters next to each other just to kind of dig into them and learn from them. But it's interesting as you look at that um, kind of order. It, it mimics a lot of times the way that we do confrontation, right? And sometimes I've heard it called a praise sandwich, right? So you tell somebody what they're doing. Well, man, you're doing great with your sales. They're really up. Good job. Keep getting those new clients. But you know, your paperwork is kind of slack and you just need to get your paperwork in time. But you're a great employee. Keep working at it. You know, praise sandwich. Anybody ever gotten one of those? Right? So that's the, that's the formula that we're sort of following here that Jesus follows. Now, when there's a formula like that, you go, okay, here's the formula, and you kind of expect it, especially when it gets to the seventh letter. However, what's interesting about this seventh letter is it's missing part of the formula. All of them have a greeting. All of them have a description of Jesus. But this one is the only one that doesn't have a commendation. Jesus doesn't say, Laodicea, here's what you're doing well, but it just says, here's what your problem is. And, it, and I share that with you because as you look at it, it raises to the level of they have an issue here that is a huge issue that they need to address. And so we come to what it says, verse 15. It says, but I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot, cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So there's that word spit. That's why I told the milk story at the beginning. But it could be translated spit or spew or vomit that says, because you are lukewarm, makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, for a long time, I had heard inaccurate teaching about this passage. And the passage says, be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. And I had heard this mistaught on a number of occasions where being be on fire for God, hot, or be totally against God, be a total atheist, run from God, but don't be lukewarm, which is not the actual accurate teaching 
of this message, of, of what uh, Jesus is saying. You see, what Jesus was doing is he was referring to things that were common to the people in each of these cities. He was using object lessons that they would understand to help them to remember what he was writing, what he was saying to them. And so this is written to a church in a city called Laodicea, and it was sort of like a triple city sort of place. There was Laodicea, there was Colossae, which is the book of Colossians, and then a place called um, Hierapolis is the way it's pronounced, Hierapolis. And so and each of the other two cities had water in it that was good and kind of unique, if you will. And so in the city of um, Colossae, it was a bit in the mountains, and they had these springs that came out of there, and this cold water would be a part of what happened in Colossae. It was cold water, right? And then you have Hierapolis, and this had hot springs coming out of this kind of natural uh, phenomenon of hot springs, and so it was healing. And so as you look at these two other towns, you have one place that has cold water, which is good. You have one place that has hot water, which had this sort of healing value, but uh, Laodicea did not actually have a water source of their own. And so what needed to happen in Laodicea is they had aqueducts that would run from these two different cities and that would run, that would provide the water source in this one particular city of Laodicea. But when the water came, if it started really cold, it would come and would arrive lukewarm. Or it would start out hot and it would arrive in Laodicea and it would be lukewarm. And the thing about lukewarm water is it's not good for anything, right? A cup of cold water is awesome to drink. A cup of hot water is good for something. You know, a hot tea. If you think about coffee, you know, and I'm not a coffee drinker, but you love, if you're a coffee drinker, you love a cup of piping hot coffee, or you love iced coffee. But nobody wants either iced coffee or hot coffee that sat around for three or four or five hours and is now lukewarm. You would spit it out. And so what Jesus is saying here, the illustration he's making, he's saying, Laodicea, you are lukewarm. Hot water is good for something, cold water is good for something, but lukewarm water isn't good for anything. He's saying you are spiritually indifferent. You're spiritually indifferent. You're not good for being hot. You're not good for being cold. Cold is good. Hot is good. But lukewarmness is not good. It is spiritual indifference. But the problem was, that the Laodiceans, they didn't recognize that they had this problem of lukewarmness. They didn't realize they had a problem of being spiritually indifferent. They didn't recognize it. And so Jesus says this about their situation in verse 17. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, again, a little bit of culture helps us with this. So this area was hit by an earthquake a number of years before this, a massive earthquake. And so the Roman government came in and they distributed money to help these cities to rebuild. But Laodicea said, no, 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 we're self-sufficient. We don't need your money to help rebuild. Because they had two income sources, which were great income sources, or essentially exports for Laodicea. One was this 
is they had an eye salve, this eye cream that they were able to make there, kind of a medical device, if you will, that they export, and that helped people who had vision problems to see better. And then the other thing that they had is they were able to produce black wool, that most sheep are white, but they had this unique, um, not brand, what do you call a sheep thing, a uh, breed, thank you, there we go, this is like all play here, okay, so they had a unique breed of, uh, of sheep that had black wool, and so they could make black clothing that was very unique and therefore export it and sell it for a profit, okay, so they had those two things going for them, and as a result, that made them very wealthy as, and self-sustaining as a town. Let me go back and read this. It, it says, verse 17, For I say, for you say, I am rich, because they felt they were rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor. So they're not really rich all the, spiritually. And they're blind, the eye salve, and they're naked, the clothing. He says, that's the true nature of who you are. But you see, here's the problem. There's something worse than being lukewarm. There's something worse than being spiritually indifferent, and it's this. It's not knowing that you're lukewarm. It's not knowing that you are spiritually indifferent. And they didn't realize that about themselves. And so Jesus, in this letter that goes through John, was trying to essentially jolt them into the reality that they were lukewarm, that they were indifferent. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to take a look at our own lives. And we could look at this passage and say, well, the United States as a whole, are we lukewarm spiritually? Or we could look at River Ridge Church as a whole, are we lukewarm spiritually? Are we hot? Are we cold? But instead, what I want us to do, I want us to personalize this and to kind of look in the mirror and ask the question, am I lukewarm? Am I spiritually indifferent? And you may jump really quickly and go, well, I'm not lukewarm. I'm not spiritually indifferent because I'm in church this morning, aren't I? But you see, it's not about church attendance. It's about what's going on in our hearts. And so I want to ask you, kind of give you nine statements about spiritual indifference. And if you answer yes to these or to the majority of these, then you probably have an issue with spiritual indifference or lukewarmness. First one is this. I'm more concerned with what I want than what God wants. I'm more concerned with what I want than what God wants. Is that true of your life? The second one is kind of a corollary. I'm more concerned with what people think than what God thinks. Are you more concerned? What do people think? What are they going to think of this decision or that decision or what I'm doing than what God thinks? Here's the third one. I turn to God just when I need him. It's a tough question, isn't it? Do you just turn to God only when you need him? Like, ah, I got this struggle, so I'm going to turn to God. Or is God a regular, everyday part of your life? Here's the next one. I rationalize or make excuses for my sin. You go, I, everybody does this. Or why well, I committed this sin, but it was really because of this thing happened or there. And do we rationalize or make excuses for our sin? Here's the fifth one. I don't share my faith. I don't share my faith. Do you talk about your faith? Do you share your story? Do you invite people to church? Do you invite people to hear the gospel? Or do you go, nah, it's just this personal thing that I don't want to put out there at all? Here's the sixth one. 
I give to God's work only if I have enough money for other things. So you say, well, if I can get all my other expenses paid for and then I'll give to God's work. Or do you prioritize God's work? Here's the seventh one. I decide week to week about whether to go to church or not. You know, do you wake up on Sunday morning and go, ah, don't really feel like going to church. Nah, it's sunny out. Let's, let's go to church. How does that work for you? Here's the eighth question. I haven't read the Bible on my own in the last seven days. And I kind of pick seven days as a random number, but have you read God's Word? Have you sought God on your own recently? Do you do that regularly? If you haven't in the last seven days or 12 days or six days or four, whatever number you want to put there, that's a sign that you may be lukewarm. And then number nine, I don't volunteer regularly to help others. Do you have a place where you're serving, where you're serving in God's name in some form or fashion? And if you don't, again, that may be a sign that you're lukewarm. You know, if you answered yes to more than a couple of these, the chances are that you're lukewarm, that you are spiritually indifferent. And I share this with you um, because from time to time, we need to take a good look in the mirror and say, where am I at? How am I doing spiritually? Because the truth of this is, and this is Jesus' words, not my words, if we're lukewarm, it said it makes Jesus want to puke, makes him want to spit us out, to vomit us. Now, I want to address just a few of you here for just a moment. This message is a hard message. This message is for believers in Christ. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Christ, if you are not a Christ follower, you get a pass on this. This does not apply to you. You don't need to leave here going, man, I got to start doing some stuff. Figure out first if you want to be in a relationship with Christ. And then you can decide, do I want to be a hot Christian or do I want to be a lukewarm Christian? If you answered yes to a lot of those and you feel like, you know what? I am lukewarm. My hope is, and this is going to sound odd, but my hope is that that bothers you. My hope is that that bothers you enough to say, I want to make some changes to my life. I don't want to live a lukewarm life. I want to be hot or I want to be cold for Jesus. I want to be purposeful in living for Jesus. So Jesus gives the answer. What is the antidote for that in the next verse? And here's what's really interesting, and this is kind of where it really applies to all of us. If, I, if you feel like you are lukewarm, then this is the cure to lukewarmness. If you say, you know, I really am a place where I'm pretty hot for God, I'm pretty cold for God, I'm pretty useful for what God wants, this also is the prevention for becoming lukewarm. So it says this in verse 18. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And again, this imagery is imagery that is very familiar with the people that lived in Laodicea. It's talking here about the gold, the wealth. It's talking about white garments, because they produce black garments. It's talking about salve for the eyes. It's talking about that. 
and he gives all these different things. So if we can unpack this and figure out what does this imagery mean, what's it pointing to, it's going to be the way forward for us to say, I don't have to live a lukewarm life. So here's the first thing I want to point out to you. It says, I counsel you to buy gold. It uses that word buy, underline that word, circle that word. And it's interesting because you know, we talk so much um, about the gift of God. And you would almost think like, and I will freely give you this. But it doesn't say that. It says you will buy gold refined by fire. Saying it's going to cost you something. And Jesus put that there intentionally for this reason, is that if you are going to go from lukewarm to hot or from lukewarm to cold, it is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It may cost you money. It may even cost you relationships. But it is going to cost you something. And it's good to know that on the way in. Because here's the thing is, oftentimes when we talk about comfort, like, comfort is kind of lukewarm. Like, if you sit in a bathtub, a lukewarm bathtub actually feels pretty good. But once you start drinking that, it's nasty. You want to spit it out, right? So gold refined by fire. And here's the, um, what this does. Is value the eternal over the earthly. Value the eternal over the earthly. Part of what it means to not be spiritually indifferent means that we understand and we value what God values. You know, there's only three things that last for eternity. God, God's word, and people. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, invest in things that have eternal value. Gold just has a temporary value on earth. Invest in things that have an eternal value. I think about this in the, in the sense of a couple different areas. Think about your time. Like that, the, the, we all have time. With what you do with your time, are you investing in eternal things? Or are you investing in temporary things? Or think about money, how you spend your money, how you utilize your money. Are you investing it in things that last forever? Or are you investing in things that don't last? Or think about how you pray. What are the things that you pray for? Are you praying for things that have eternal value? Like if God all of a sudden answered all of your prayers, would the only thing that happened is that your life would get better? Or are you praying for other people and things in the world? Or how about relationships? As you look at the relationships that you have, are you investing in relationships that make a difference for eternity? There's all kinds of ways to look at this. What are you investing in? in in terms of the temporary or the eternal. The next phrase he talks about, he talks about having white garments that you may clothe yourselves in. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, the white has been a reference for righteousness. And let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 1, probably the clearest place, but it comes in a lot of different places. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It's this metaphor. White is a metaphor for righteousness. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying white garments, to put on white garments means to pursue righteousness, to pursue 
righteousness. Pursuing righteousness is kind of twofold. There's two kind of ways to view righteousness. And this is kind of theological seminary terminology, but there's what they call positional righteousness. That means that I am righteous before God because what Jesus Christ has done for me, right? And we want to remember that. We want to pursue that righteousness of always remembering that I am righteous before God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and I've placed my faith in him. But there's also what we might call practical righteousness. This is the idea is that my life conforms more and more and more to what Christ's life looks like. That in the way that I act, in the way that I speak, in the way that I think, in the way they interact with people, that I want to become more and more righteous in those things. And so to say to pursue righteousness, righteousness means we're pursuing righteousness in both of those. Pursuing the purity of Christ, knowing that God sent Jesus to die for me, and also the practical side of it. The last part here is this, is it talks about salve. Is it salve or salve? Help me out here. Salve, no L, silent L. Thank you. I'll get it right next service. Excellent. Okay. Salve. No, are you sure? Am I, is it the other way? Oh, let's, let's take a vote. Who has the L in there? Salve. Okay, again, the people that like, if you give a mess a cookie, good. And, uh, and who pronounces it salve without the L? Hmm, okay, well, good. <laughs> Who wants to be lukewarm? <laughs> good, you're listening. <laughs> All right. Focus here. Squirrel. Okay, there we go. God says, he says, and salve to anoint your eyes. Right? What this means is seeing clearly. Put the salve on your eyes and see the world in a new way. And what's interesting about this idea of seeing the world in the new way, in a new way, is when we see the world in a new way, it gives us purpose for living life. And I love um, how uh, Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. It says, the eyes of your heart would be opened to see what it is that God wants you to do. And so the salve is this, is to see your purpose. To see your purpose. That that's what God wants for you. He wants you to see your purpose in living life. That every day you have a purpose about this is how I will live my life. This is my life calling. And I love that idea that when we are making a difference, we are like hot water that is healing, or we are like cold water that is refreshing. That's what it means to be hot or cold. It's to make a difference because we see the world differently. We see it, the world, as I have a purpose in reaching this world. So how do we get out of being lukewarm? As we talk about this, as we've talked about it, you may feel a little bit kind of beat up. You may feel like, man, I'm super convicted. And what's interesting is I think that that was Jesus' point. Because listen to what he says next to the Laodiceans. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. 
So be zealous and repent. Because I think once they heard that, they're like, man, that cuts to the heart. We are lukewarm. I am lukewarm. And maybe you're feeling that a little bit too. But it says, if that's who you are, I do that. Why? Because I love you. If you're feeling a conviction this morning, that's from God because he loves you. And then Jesus gives this great solution in verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is inviting us to a banquet. He says, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the type of banquet that he's referring to is not just like a quick meal at McDonald's, not just a quick something. He's talking about this feast. And for them to share a meal together in this culture was a huge, it was a representation of just relationship, of intimacy in a relationship. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am inviting you into an intimate relationship with me. And this verse, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, is actually used out of context. Oftentimes, and you may have heard it this way, is this is an invitation to salvation, right? Jesus is knocking, are you going to open the door and receive Jesus as your Savior? Which is, is, is fine, not what this meant, though, because you can see it in context. It means that Jesus is inviting you into this deeper fellowship, this deeper intimacy with him where you are hot or cold. You live your life with purpose with righteousness, with this view of the eternal instead of the temporary. And so I want to just conclude and give you just a moment to reflect that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and how will you respond? Will you respond and say, come in, I want as much of you as I can possibly give, as much of you as I can possibly get in my life. You know, maybe God is leading you to repentance, that there's something been holding on to and you need to turn from it. Maybe God has convicted you this morning that you are living a lukewarm life. It's just lukewarm. It's spiritual indifference. And this morning is the day to turn that around. And that begins by answering the door. Jesus is knocking you, answer the door, you say, I invite you in to be a part of every aspect of my life because I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be purposeful. I want to be hot. I want to be cold. I want to live my life for you. But it begins with inviting Jesus to have that more intimate relationship with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this hard teaching, that you don't want us to be lukewarm. You say that you spit us out if we're lukewarm. But God, that you want us to have purpose, to be hot for you, to be cold for you, to have purpose in how we live our lives. God, would you show us the steps that we need to do with that? Each one of us individually, show us the steps that we need to step through to have that hot relationship with you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.